center and coming in is Loom. Newendike centered it. All right, let's get this hour going. Happy Friday. It's April 21st, and we are underway from our Sportsnet 960 Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Steinberg and Pike with us for the first time this week. Hi, Pike. Hi, Pat. We're uh, available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And boy, does Dustin Wolf just keep on making news and keep on making history. And Pikey just keeps on pushing the conversation forward about how the Flames should handle this goaltending situation for next season and beyond. And here we are, it's April 21st, and we're already talking about potential goaltending conversations and goaltending controversies for the coming year. So on Friday, Wolf named AHL MVP. I think we know the stats by now, but just in case. What what doesn't he lead the American League in amongst goaltenders? I think assists, and uh, that, that's the one that he did not end up leading. And in. he didn't he didn't score any goals this year either. So I mean, there's room for improvement for him if he returns back to the American if League he's for back a third in season. The American League. Uh, what he did do is uh, lead the American League in wins with 42. He went 42, 10 and two. A save percentage at 9.32. Shutouts with seven. Also in minutes played and goals against. Like the meaningful goaltending conversations, meaningful goaltender stats. He led the way uh, in in every one of them. He's the first goalie to win AHL MVP since current Calgary goaltending coach Jason LaBarbera. Back in 2003-2004, he was a member of what I believe is now a defunct team, the Hartford Wolfpack, and he's the youngest American League MVP at the age of 22 since Jason Spezza won the award during the lockout season in 04-05. He was at the age of 21. So we spoke with him on Flames Talk Wednesday. I asked Wolf at the time, this is Wednesday, but I asked him about probably or maybe or likely or definitely winning AHL MVP. This is what Dustin had to say when he joined us on Wednesday. Super, super rewarding. Um, like I said, I, I go out there each and every day and try to you know, keep as many pucks out of my net as I can. And uh, you know, the, the 25 other guys in the room, they do their job of making sure they limit their the opposing's opposition uh, chances. And, uh, you know, we've I'm not sure if we led the league in scoring this year or not, but um, we scored a lot of goals. So I know if I if we keep it, you know, between under two or three, that you know we have a pretty good chance of winning each and every game. And um, you know, obviously it'd be pretty pretty awesome for sure. But at the end of the day, I I want to win a championship, and that's that's what I want. At the end of the day, I want to ring on the finger. So that is pretty consistent when it comes to. The way Wolf goes about things, they they we don't really often hear him talk too much about individual stuff. And when he does get asked about individual stuff, it's always team accomplishments and it's always about winning a championship. But Pike, let's get into it because every time he wins something, you hear more and more people, or you see more and more people on Twitter 
saying he needs to be done in the American League. And not just Flames fans, you're seeing it from around the league now. Yeah, like, people, you know, our, our friend Chris Peters from Flow Sports uh, has been keeping a running tally on his Twitter about all the accomplishments, and I think he's getting frustrated because he's running out of space for uh, to include all Dustin accomplishments. Patrick Williams from NHL.com and AHL.com. Uh, Tony Andrikaitis, uh, you know, basically any anyone who covers the American Hockey League has been sort of pointing out exuberantly how much of an outlier he is yeah. amongst, like, you know, mo- most of the time, like you, you mentioned, like Jason LaBarbera, you know, was the last goaltender to be the most valuable player in the league. He was 24. He was two years older, you know, two years older than Dustin Wolf is. It was this, it was the year he turned 24. Uh, so he's at, between a year and a half and two years older when he accomplished that than Wolf was. Wolf, uh, I believe he's the, the, this came up earlier in the week, he's the first goaltender in the history of the award to win the uh, the Baz Bastian Award as the American League's top goaltender in his first two seasons. It's never happened before. That's nuts. So, you know, he... he I, well, he's the only goalie to ever win it back, back to back. To, yeah. So, and so he when he came in, you know, when the, you know, when you draft a kid uh, at all, you go, um, you know, let's see how he does. Then he comes out of the gates in his first year, 1920, you know, top goaltender in the Western League. And unfortunately, he didn't get a playoff run because of that dang pandemic thing. Uh, next year, Followed up with another tremendous, tremendous year. Also, you know the American, you know the the Western League didn't really have much of a playoff that year either. So he's basically been robbed of long playoff runs. The the first time in his post draft career he was able to have a playoff run was when he was twenty in the American League when he was the goalie of the year as a rookie and managed to backstop them within a couple wins of going to the going to the final. They lost to the Chicago Wolves, yeah. the eventual league champions this year. But despite losing, I think something like eight to twelve other regulars from the previous season, they replaced them, and somehow they're actually a better team than they were a year ago. And a lot of that credit should go to Dustin Wolf. And you know, the the argument for slow cooking goaltenders. Let's let's just so let's let's get into that part. Okay, about slow cooking goaltenders. So my my point was that every time he wins something, it turns into enough. He's proven everything in the American League. It's time to give him a shot in the NHL. And we see it from people outside of the market and in the market. And I've kind of been a stick in the mud on this one. And I have been saying all along, even going back to when the Flames still were playing and and there were meaningful Flames games, because, Pike, you know this, there's been people clamoring for Dustin Wolf to get an opportunity going back to the regular season and when the Flames are having their own goaltending issues. So I've kind of been stick in the mud. No, don't bring him into this mess this year. Keep him in the American League. And if you have to wait another season or two until he's a full-time NHLer, that's okay too. So I've been very much of the deliberately slow play side of things and that they should not jump the gun. They should not be moving somebody to make room for them. And I still believe this. I say smart. Uh, I say be smart. I say take it slow. Guard against rushing it, even if you're being overcautious, and work them in gradually kind of hybrid style next season. And some are on the same page and, and some want to staple my mouth shut. And I, <laughs> I get it. It's, it's, I just think it's a fascinating topic. So yeah. where are you on the idea of slow playing versus he's ready, make a spot for him. He should be on the NHL roster next season. I'm sort of in the middle. I think the, the exciting thing for me is if you're the flames, you have, 
Dan Vildar, who's still young and hasn't really played a lot of hockey relative to guys in his age group, he's still, I think, scratching the surface. You have Jacob Markstrom, who is a year removed from being one of the best goaltenders on the planet. Uh, you know, hope and to to use uh, to steal a Jonathan Huberdo line, I don't think he just forgot how to play goaltender. Right. So you have an interesting couple guys ahead of him, and then you have Wolf, who has an incredible resume, probably the best resume of any goalie his age in the world right now, and two years of waiver exemption left. So if you're the Flames, you have the ability to slow play, and if you want, you don't have. There's no hand that needs to be forced because often. You so know, when would he be waiver eligible? Uh, he'd be waiver eligible uh, at he ha- basically. So next year is the last year of his entry level deal, and then he has a year after his entry level of waiver exemption for the full year. Okay. And then the year after that, he'd be waiver. He waiver eligible. So two more full seasons two more where they could seasons. move him up and down yeah. from the American League without waiver. And I think that that might be the play. And, the you know, the nice thing is, if you're the Flames, you know, the, the Flames got Dan Vladar, who is very good, uh, for a third rounder because Boston was worried about losing him on waivers. You know, his waiver exemption was gone, and they were at the point where they wanted to go with Jeremy Swayman. They wanted to go with Linus Olmark. Like they, Boston had a lot of choices to make, and they chose not Dan Vladar. And I'm pretty sure Boston's pretty happy with their choices. I'm pretty sure the Flames are happy with their choices too. And if you're the Flames, you don't have to make choices. You basically can, if you if you want to slow play him, if you want to carry three goalies and just you know float Wolf back and forth, if you want to carry two goalies, but one of them is maybe you know maybe someone you know maybe you move Vladar, but you bring in like a, a veteran, an AHL veteran. Like I'll, I'll, I'll just throw out Oscar Dansk as, as an example. I don't know if this would be something they would end up doing, but Oscar Dansk is a, an, an NHL, AHL, KHL veteran. He's a pro's pro. He knows what's going on. And if you tell Oscar Dansk, hey, Oscar, we're throwing you on waivers, and the plan for next year is we're just going to rotate you back and forth. Sometimes you'll be in the NHL getting NHL money, uh, backing up an NHL goalie. Sometimes you'll be starting the American League. Maybe you'll How start are we the- on Oscar Dansk? But but I'm but I'm but that's the idea I'm looking at because if if you want to, <laughs> I don't think you want to carry three goalies. So no. you want to have either two established guys or a starter and a, a couple of guys you can flip back and forth. And I think I think that the Flames aren't in a position where they need to do anything, which is the exciting thing to me because you know you don't need to trade. Anybody. You don't need to trade Dan Vladar. You don't need to trade Dustin Wolf. You don't need to trade Jacob Markstrom. But if somebody comes to you with a stupid offer for, for Dan Vladar, you're in a position where you're probably feeling pretty good about saying yes to it because you have a guy behind Vladar who's just got an incredible resume right now. Well, so my idea has been the idea of, okay, if you want to slow play it, and which I still do, and I'm curious as to where the text line is at 960-960, but you have this ability with the AHL team in Calgary to kind of be creative with it. And I think you want to protect Dustin Wolf because the NHL can ruin goaltenders or derail goaltenders fairly easily. And we've seen, I mean, Carter Hart still hasn't found his way totally in the NHL. And there are plenty of other young goaltenders. And I just mentioned Carter Hart because he's the youngest, and, uh, the, the most recent kind of young superstar. And coincidentally, goaltender. another Everett Silvertip goal. They were, well, they were teammates. Yeah. And, and that's also why I, I bring him up. But the, the way that I would do it is kind of similar to what other teams have done. Buffalo did it a little bit this year. Nashville's done it in the past. To protect Dustin Wolf and and make sure that you know for sure that he's ready, you don't need to make room this summer 
by trading one of Jacob Markstrom and Dan Vladar. Instead, you can reduce Markstrom's workload a little bit and supplement that a little bit more by bringing in Dustin Wolf from the American League with waiver exemptions and kind of picking and choosing spots. Take a look at your American League schedule and say, oh, hold on a second. We could probably get Wolf in here or there and get some starts in there for him. And if you could get by doing that, if you could get him to 10 to 12 NHL starts next year. You're still taking a step with Dustin. Yeah. He's still playing a lot of games. He's getting that sweet, sweet NHL money. He's for a getting good chunk some of the NHL year. money. He's getting some NHL experience. And hell, if if halfway through that plan, you're like, okay, well, he's been so good when he's been in. It's clear. Let's start to put the wheels in motion a little bit more on moving one of these guys than you do so. But that way, you don't put yourself in a tough spot where if he's not ready, well, now all of a sudden you're like, well, what do we do? We've moved out one of our guys and yeah. he's not quite yeah. ready. I just, let me, let me play you this. This is Jordan Sigal who joined us uh, just over a week ago. Jordan Lee is the director of goaltender uh, goaltending rather for the Calgary flames. He joined us last week on flames talk and, and we talked about, this idea, what is the messaging been and what is the plan right now for Wolf knowing the two guys that are in front of him? After we got knocked out of the playoffs the other night, uh, we were down in the management room and it was the first thing I brought up was, you know, we need to get this kid a game. Like it's a mean nothing game. You got to break this kid in like a horse. You see, I always go back to the UC Soros thing where they would bring him up, play him, send him back down get him some games, get him some experience, have him around Pecker in a, just like having, you know, Wolfie around Markstrom, Bladar, and uh, it's just continuing to get him games. And um, when we feel he's ready to be full-time, then, you know, you're going to have to make room for him. There's going to be tough decisions to be made, but it's obviously a good situation to be in when you have three really good goalies. And um, But we've had that conversation with Dustin, even when we signed Dan Ladar, like this isn't going to, you know, roadblock you or get in the way. Like when, when you're ready, we're, we're going to make sure there's room for you. And um, at the same time, you don't want to rush him and, you know, throw him to the wolves too early. And um, But, you know, he continues to prove and, and make a statement that uh, it's going to be sooner than later. So it's exciting to see. And, um, you know, he's he's not too worried about it. He knows he's going to have his time and he's just going to keep putting in the work and, uh, you know, winning wherever he is. So that was Jordan Sigaled just over a week ago when he joined us the day after Dustin made his NHL debut. And, and, and Pike, I'm not saying that you can't move a goalie. Like, I would actually, as much as I think slow playing it is the right play, I'd respect the conviction and I'd respect the, um, I just respect the faith in the player if they were to go out and make that type of move. I just, I would rather, if it were me in charge, I'd be cautious with it. I'd be very deliberate with how I don't want to rush this guy and take advantage of the waiver exemption like you talked about. I just, this guy's such a valuable player in the organization. He's I think now, and this is no knock on Matt Coronado or Jacob Pelche or Connor Zeri, but this guy just won American League MVP at the age of 22. Yep. I think he's your top prospect. And, and he, I just. He, and he played the majority of his year at 21. Yeah. He is late he'll, he's only just 22. I don't want to screw this up. And so that's what I'm worried about. And it's so much easier to mess up goalies yeah. than any other position. That's what I'm most if, worried about. If, if you look at the, the long and illustrious history of the Calgary Flames, 
the their drafting and development of goaltenders is just riddled. I don't even want to say I want to say failures, but there's just mistakes. There's mistakes like example like there was one year they used four goalies because they wanted to give Jason Muzzati games but didn't want to fully commit to using Jason Muzzati. That's weird. Like they've done a lot of weird things. That might be they, your deepest they, cut they, ever. They threw Trevor Kidd into the deep end after half of a year backing up Mike Vernon because they, you know, they, I, I think those are the kind of things you look at and go, okay, maybe you don't want to Trevor Kidd this poor kid, but is there a way to sort of use the the tools you have at your at your avail? Example, a farm team that shares the same building uh, to maximize Sometimes. his development. If you know, I think there's, I think there's. I agree with you. I think there's a lot of tools they can use. The temptation is always to go to anoint this kid the next big thing, give him a sash and a scepter and say, you're the kid who's here to save the Calgary Flames. But we've seen up north and here, not just for goaltenders, position players too, that can be a recipe for disappointment. And, and it's funny because I juxtapose that with what we heard from Brent Cron, who was in with us on Wednesday's show, Thursday's show, uh, days don't matter to me. Thursday is when he was in. He was sitting right there, and he was extremely passionate. having And, 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 and he was very biased on it because he was in a similar situation. He has been an American League goalie in this organization, and he never felt he got his chance. He never felt like they even came close to making room for him. And and we make fun of Croner now because we love him to death, but he was a very good American League goaltender yeah. uh, for the Flames. He put up some really good numbers in his time, and he felt like he never got that chance. So he's sitting there pounding the table saying, give this damn kid a chance. Don't hold him down to the point where he gets frustrated or you lose him. Yeah. And and that's that's kind of the balance, and that's why... I don't think it makes sense to just say, no, no, you're in the American League. We're going with Markstrom and Vladar next year. I think you need to take a step, and yep. I think you need to progress it at some level. Where I think the debate comes in is, can I see the text? I don't know. Read the text that are agreeing, disagreeing with us in just moments. But I think you need to decide what extent that step is going to be. How big a step? Is it the step from playing one game to 12 games in the NHL? Is it the step from playing one game to being a full-time backup? Th- those yeah. are the, it's the, it's, it's the size of the step that I think we're all going to be debating here for the next little bit. And I yeah. can guarantee you they're debating behind closed and, doors. And I'll say this, sometimes guys find their level. I mean, I'll say, I think the flames did a reasonably good job at giving like Leland Irving and Yorni Ordio, for example, chances. But they also gave those kids chances where basically their waiver exemptions were up and they, you know, they didn't really have any plan B's. And so in, you know, when Leland Irving showed a little bit of struggles, they didn't have the ability or at least the, you know, the, the, the comfort level with a waiver situation to plug a kid back down the American League for a couple of weeks and say, hey, OK, you had a rough night. Go down there and rag to all the bat, you know, rag to all the minor league for a couple of weeks. So I think. I think if they can learn from some of the challenges that they've had in their recent history, then I think they could do a lot of a lot of things to make life easy for themselves. Because I agree with you. Like this is, you know, this this is probably the most exciting goaltending prospect they've had since what Vernon was drafted in '81. Name me a goaltending prospect that has showed more in their post draft years. I mean, they hyped up Kid pretty hot. Like uh, that was Kid was, was pretty a- good. Kid Kid was really good his first two or three years post draft. It wasn't Martin Brodeur. I digress. <laughs> or Felix Potvin. Here's the here's the best part about this. I want to play a little bit more from our chat with Dustin on Wednesday when he sat down with me in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge. 
And just listen to him talk about it because as we just heard Sigalette say, you know, he's not really too worried about it. He's just focused on the task at hand. And just listen to how Wolf answers a couple of these questions from me about this very same topic. You know that Jacob and, and Dan are on the NHL squad. You've gotten into an NHL game. You, you feel like you're on the right track. So what has the, the messaging been from the Flames, from Siggy, in terms of the progression and when it's your time and all that type of stuff? What has what the, the messaging been from the very top of, of the organization? Yeah, I haven't really talked to them uh, too much about it lately. Um, obviously, they want me to continue to focus on the playoffs here. And obviously the end of the regular season in the last couple of weeks. But, um, no, they just want me to play a lot of games and want me to have fun. And um, they don't want me to just gain experience at, at the pro level. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to help the team as much as I can with getting wins and um, being a leader in the room. And, um, you know, I want to be able to make, you know, the staff's decisions hard on yeah. what they're going to do next year. And, um, you know, it starts right now with the playoffs. You know, if you win a Calder Cup, it probably makes their life a little harder. And um, at the end of the day, I'd much rather have a ring on the finger than anything else right now. So. How how are you? Uh, how's how's Dustin Wolf's patience? Are, are, you, are you a guy that, that's been a struggle with at times in your career? Or, or do you feel like that's something that you're good at? Depends on the scenario. I think in the net, I'm patient for sure. But, um, you know, off the ice, you, I just try to, you know, focus on what I'm doing. And... Um, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, I'm trying to get wins for our group. You know, I've been focused on, on the Wranglers this year. And, uh, you know, obviously I think you obviously want to play as many NHL games as possible. You want to get a chance to, to show what you can do. And um, you know, I was grateful to get that, that game last week and kind of just show them that, you know, I can I can play this level. And, um, again, make their life live, their life hard, make their choices hard. And, um you know, come next season, I want to obviously have a good camp and, and uh, push them to make decisions that maybe they don't want to make right now. I I sure do like the mindset. And I don't think he's going to come right out and say, even if he felt this, I don't think he's going to come out and say, damn it, if they don't give me a chance next year, I'm looking elsewhere. I don't think, A, he's, he's thinking that way. But B, he's not going to come out and say it. And obviously he wants to play in the NHL. He knows how good he is. He He knows what he's accomplished better than you and I do. Right and 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 to become a, an athlete at that level, you have to have a whole hell of a lot of confidence in yourself and your abilities. And Dustin does and should. It's just I like the attitude and the the mental outlook and the way that he approaches things yeah. and the way he takes things in stride is one of the strengths He's, that everybody talks about with in, this guy. In his, in his pro career, you, you remember this probably fairly vividly, that bubble year where he played a couple of games before the Western League got going with uh, the Heat when the Heat were playing in Calgary. His first pro game was not good. He, he even talked about it. He said, I just laughed after the game. Yeah. He took it in stride, despite the fact his pro debut was a disaster. Yeah, it was it was a five alarm fire in every sense of the word, and he just you know dumped it out mentally. Went okay, cool, and then played another game, played really well. Then went down to Everett and just played a fantastic season. And he is one of those guys. We're talking to you know scouts, talking to people from other organizations. He's you know his game to game resilience is fantastic because he has a bad game and you wouldn't know it from his body language. He gives up a bad goal. He just resets. And you know, if you're, if you're playing in front of a guy who has that level of just, 
you know, he he's so calm in his demeanor, in his body language, in the net, in his everything that he can calm his team down when games are getting kind of kind of weird. And I think that's such a that's such a valuable resource to have in a netminder. And you know, he's I I love that last line of that clip though. That la- you know wants that wants to make make decisions they yeah. don't want to make. That's all you can do. Yeah, make 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 it make it tough for them to send you down the hall. So just a couple of rapid fire questions before I hit the text line. If they were now, I don't think they should yet. I do think this is something that you get into at some point, but I don't think you do it yet. But whether it was this summer or later, what goalie would you move to make room for Dustin Wolf? Would it be Vladar or Markstrom? Eileen Vladar for two reasons, better contract, younger, three reasons, better contract, younger, and doesn't have a no move clause. I that's kind of my my mindset. Jacob's got a new move clause. That's a tough. Whether you think they should or shouldn't, that's a tough. Um, it's a tough sell. It's a tough. It's tough to do. Yeah, and you know you give a no move clause because you convince somebody that Calgary is the place they can be long term. And a few years after selling him on Calgary, do you want to sell someone on getting out of Calgary? I don't know. I I wouldn't want to be a fly in the wall in that conversation. But yep. yeah, I th- I think. I think Vladar is the the easiest guy to flip for the reasons you got into. What happens if you do make a move this summer? You trade somebody out and you end up and it doesn't end up working. And all of a sudden Dustin's not ready. Then what do you do? That's a good question. That then it's Oscar Dansk time. But that's a good question. Because I mean That's my that's a rhetorical question that I don't think has a Firm answer, but I think it is still, it's a question that has to yeah. be out there. Well, because right now, on two levels, Dan Vultar is a heck of an insurance policy to have because he's a guy with a lot of energy, you know, on the ice, positive energy off the ice. He has a really good rapport with every other goalie in the organization. And if Markstrom falters, you have that guy who has much more so than, uh, than Wolf. He still he has he's still proving himself, but he's got a proven yeah. track record. And if Wolf falters, you have that safety net. I think that'd be tough to move. Here is uh here's my most rapid fire question. My answer is just straight up no, nope. What about you? Is w- trading Wolf a viable option for what? That's why I say nope. To yeah. me, he's he's one of very few untouchables in the org right now for me. Someone would have to give you like the. St- stupidest the stu- like the he's really good he's got a ton of upside he's on a very i think his cap hit right now is like 875 or 833 or something like ridiculous a very low cap hit especially for how good he is and w- even when he gets a new deal at the end of 23 24 his his post entry level deal will not have a gigantic cap hit because guys coming out of a mostly AHL run don't have giant cap hits so you're going to be looking at somebody who's young, waiver exempt, and on a very team friendly deal. You're going to have to offer me something ridiculous to get me to move him. 
Let me read some texts, 960-964. Those of you listening live with us here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Uh, this from uh, Javon and Airdrie. I get the whole slow play, Wolf. Just put them in a few games here, there, next year, and work them in, and I'm fine with that. But there's also a player and agent involved, and you don't want to slow play this to the point where the player gets aggravated and ticked off at management and the team and then wants to go somewhere else. A player that's frustrated with management is never a good thing for any team or player, so it's definitely a fine line. I'd probably have him up in the NHL starting next year as long as he has a good training camp. I d- there's some validity to that, but I do think hybriding it at the very least shows that you are following through on a plan and a progression. And, and I think that that would at the very least be a sign of faith that, Hey, we're, we're working on this and we're, we're trying to do this right, but we're also trying to do this. Um, this says, why are we talking about trading Vladar? A creative manager can trade the Markstrom contract. He's an aging goaltender. There are teams who think he'll recover. No movement clause does not mean anything in today's NHL. The future is with Wolf and Vladar. I can tell you this. I've had a number of people suggest Buffalo, for instance. I bet you Jacob Markstrom blocks going to Buffalo. That's that, 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 Those are the types of things in, where you run into problems. Re- That's re- all. Regardless of how good Buffalo is on the ice, and I, I think their team is definitely on the upswing. I love their young group. A, I don't know if Buffalo would want to block some of their up-and-coming young goaltenders by going to get a Jacob Markstrom. And for whatever reason, the market just... You know, Rob McGuire infamously had to be talked into Buffalo. A lot of players who've gone to Buffalo had to be talked into Buffalo. I think it's doable, but I think it's really challenging. Uh, This says the kids won back-to-back goalie of the year and an MVP. What are we protecting against? If he's not available to take the step now, he won't be able to. This reads, you guys are wasting your breath talking about goaltending. So long as Sutter's here, you might as well talk about cricket. I like cricket. Uh, Cricket, rather. Um, And Triscuits. Uh, this says, come on, Pat, there's no way Daryl will play Wolf 10 or 12 games. Not a chance. This says, Wolf has proven he's NHL ready. Salary cap era. Move on from Markstrom. Use that money to get a goal scorer. Look at Ottinger in Dallas. This from Sam. Pat, could the Flames not start the season with the tandem of Markstrom and Vladar? I'd showcase Vladar a bit heavy during the early part of the season and then capitalize on a trade around the new year. You may get a bigger haul from a team that encounters injuries or lack of depth. Wolf then can play the backup role for next season and slowly have him take the starter's role the following year. This, of course, depends on if Markstrom bounces back. Uh, this says, uh, Wolf's the equivalent to McDavid and Nett. Let the man cook. Uh, this says, afternoon, gents. Are you at all worried about the handling of rookies this year? My concern with Wolf is Sutter likes to ride goalies, and I'm not sure how he'd handle Wolf. Yeah, that is definitely a, a fair concern. Um, this says, um, trade Vladar and get Wolf in the mix for 20 games a year. This reads, Berkey got a second for Retobera because Hartley would showcase the three goalies in 13-14 for 10-game segments each. Uh, I'm pretty and the sure. Avs coach at the time, Hall of Famer Patrick Waugh, bit and bit hard. I'm pretty sure they got a second for Retobera because Benoit Allaire was there and really liked Retobera. And I think Burke said yes before they had a chance to call back and say, wait, never mind. Uh, Dylan from the Foothills says, Pat, I don't think we should rush the Wolfman. They need a rebuild before they put him in. 
Um, and this says, three years left on what I consider an overpaid contract, but I say play out half a year, hopefully build Markstrom's worth amongst 31 other teams, trade a mid-season, and then go to Vladar and Wolf. It's a fascinating conversation at 960-960. It's Pat and Pike along with you. This hour of Flames Talk is underway. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. They're your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basement Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's dive in on our Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. It's not too late. They've extended their 4% loyalty rates on all in-stock 2022 models. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, just minutes from the Calgary airport. It's Steinberg, Ryan Pike, and now the voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. And guys, I just thought we could do a an open thought exercise on the Daily Flames Roundtable for this Friday to wrap it up. We know that it was a nightmare first year for Jonathan Huberto, a historic drop in points from one year to the next, from 115 to less than half of that at 55 this year. Um, It's the lowest total he's put up in any full season going back to, I think, his sophomore year in the NHL. Like, it was as bad as anybody could have imagined in terms of all that went into Huberdeau's first year with the Flames. And now his eight-year, $84 million contract uh, starts for next season. Now he's going to take up roughly 10% of Calgary's salary cap for for the foreseeable future. So, guys, let's just kick some ideas around. How can the Flames get more out of Jonathan Huberdeau next season? What are some of the things the Flames can do to make sure that year two for Jonathan and year one on his franchise record contract is significantly better than year two, uh, year one rather? Well, I suspect that even if nothing were to change between now and the start of next season, that he would probably be better in year two than in year one. He's had time to adjust to really having his life turned upside down, personally and professionally. You go from Florida to Alberta. That's a big change. You go from a Panthers team that tried to win 6-5 to a Flames team that tried to win 1-0-2-1-3-2. Big change. So I think now that he's had a chance to get settled in, uh, get adjusted to playing in a new place uh, with a new organization, uh, new managers, coaches, and teammates, uh, that'll help him. And... I also think that there's some work that can be done between now and the start of next season to, to help things. Number one, and we don't have all the details on this, but I think it's safe to say that there was a disconnect between Jonathan Huberdeau and Daryl Sutter. And I don't know when that started or even why that started. It seemed to get off to a pretty good start. Remember, Daryl Sutter said that and this is before Jonathan Huberto played a meaningful game for the Flames, that he could be the best passer in the history of the franchise. Now, those are pretty lofty comments. Uh, so it, it's not like they started off on the wrong foot. At least it didn't seem that way to me. 
But then there was that game where Jonathan Huberdeau briefly left in the first period, returned to the game, finished it, looked fine. Daryl Sutter was asked post-game why he left. By Ryan Pike. By Ryan Pike. A good question, Pike. Uh, The answer, not so good. And I know for a fact that did not sit well with the players and with others. And I think, you know, from the outside looking in, do we know that's when the relationship started to break down? No. But based on what we do know, I think it's fair to speculate that that's probably when things started to go in the wrong direction. So I, I think that Uh, First and foremost, and this goes, I think, beyond anything that has to happen on the ice, that relationship, if Daryl Sutter is going to be the head coach of this team, that relationship needs some work. So once that gets done, if that gets done, on the ice, I think you have to leave him on left wing, guys. Playing him on right wing was an experiment that, in my opinion, probably lasted too long because, quite frankly, it, it didn't work. So leave him on left wing and play him with someone who complements his skill set. And I know that it didn't work at first with Elias Lindholm and Tyler Toffoli. I'm not convinced that that can't work moving forward. You know, once Jonathan Huberto gets uh, back to Calgary and is putting on that Flames jersey and, and getting set for his second season with the team and his first with uh, the highest uh, AAV in franchise history, at least the biggest contract in the history of the franchise, that you got to find a way to put him in a position to succeed. So for me, that's playing him with either Elias Lindholm or Nazem Kadri, guys who can finish. So I think there's a lot of work that has to be done off the ice uh, in order to put him in a position where he can have more success on the ice. And I think there's probably plenty of blame to go around. You can't say it was all on the coach or all on the players. So uh, I think uh, there has to be some responsibility shared for why it didn't work uh, to the extent we thought it would or that I think it will with Jonathan Huberto moving forward. Yeah, Derek, I'm kind of on the same page as you. A, a lot of, I think, suffice to say, a lot of stuff went wrong for the Flames this year, and specifically with Huberto, a lot of stuff went wrong with Huberto. I mean, he, he missed time early on, which suggests that he was playing through something early in the season. He was dealing with, you know, the, you know, changing his lifestyle completely, going from South Beach to playing in Calgary, you know, he he mentioned after one of the preseason games, you know, the the challenge that the elevation had on him, you know, early on. Granted, you know, it usually takes you a few weeks to get used to elevation, but you know, there's so much different stuff. I really found it interesting when Mackenzie Weger, who you know, relative to Huberto, had a much better season. Mackenzie Weger in his post uh, postseason press conference with us mentioned that you know he really didn't feel like his off ice adjustment to Calgary was really going well until about Christmas or even until the all-star break. And Mm -hmm. if just the off ice stuff, if just the, your life has completely changed and your routines are blown up, you know, these guys, you know, hockey players are creatures of habit as much as we all are. And I think if you are used to having your, you know, your route to work, your drive to work, your, you know, the people you say hi to in the rink, the way you like your sticks taped, the way all these little things that sort of accumulate, to create high-level athletes that perform so well, and then you basically blow up every bit of someone's routine and ask them to try to re, re, you know, replicate it or rebuild it in a completely new environment, it can be really challenging. And I think I think just the off-eye stuff, if just Jonathan Huberto finds a way to feel comfortable and enjoy Calgary the way he was comfortable and enjoyed Sunrise, Florida, 
I think just that will be enough to make him a little bit better in every situation. I'll also say this. You know, he, he said it himself. It's not like he forgot to play hockey or forgot how to play hockey over a course of a few months. I mean, he, he looked a little bit out of place. He looked like he was thinking about what was he supposed to be doing in every, every game situation. And for a guy who's never really been, you know, renowned as the most fleet of foot player, he played slow. He wasn't, he's not slow, but he played slow. And I think having a summer just to clear his head and come back to Calgary and have the ability to sort of ease himself into the captain skates and ease himself into training camp and sort of come at things with a clear head and a clear mind, I think that could do a lot for him. Because, you know, Derek, you know, you, you've you been around long enough. I'm pretty sure you remember the first few games of Johnny Goudreau in Calgary, where Johnny Goudreau played five extremely ordinary hockey games for the Calgary Flames, then got healthy scratched and told by the coaching staff, just, you know, we know you're good. Just sit and watch and try to figure out where space is because yeah. you just can't find that space. And since that since that game, Johnny Gaudreau turned into a point-per-game player. So it's not like your talent completely gets left in the Eastern time zone when you, you know, get traded to Calgary. But I think there's enough little things that conspired against him, some of his own doing and some of just the situation he was in. I think having just the ability to clear his mind, decompress, and come at everything with a fresh mindset and some, some, uh, you know, a fresh perspective. I think that'll do a lot for him. Okay, but guys, I do think, and this is a rare situation, and may- maybe this is just me, but, and I don't disagree with you guys. First of all, on the the coaching side of things, I think that that is is bang on. If Daryl Sutter will remain the coach of the Flames, and and we'll see if that ends up happening. If Daryl is is your coach. Come training camp next year, well, then one of two things has to happen. He and Huberdo, and this is on both of them. This ain't to one of the other thing, but those two guys will have to both take steps to better the relationship and be on the same page on a far more often basis. And if that doesn't happen, one of them will have to go because that, that that's untenable. Your highest paid player and your franchise player on salary and your head coach, if they're going to continue to be on different pages like they were last year, well, then one of them is going to have to be moved or you're going to have to say goodbye to one of them. So both guys have got to figure that out next year if if both guys are still in the fold. That's number one. Number two, yeah, I agree with you that I think just year two naturally will be better from a comfort standpoint and some of the things that that went into this year, the adjustment, the, the emotional side of things, I think it really hurt him. Clearly it really hurt him when he got traded from Florida. All of the, the turmoil of last summer, like that would have made anybody's head spin and that stuff's gone. So I also think that naturally next year will probably be better anyways. But if I'm the Flames, we've you've already committed $84 million. You can't get a single penny of that back unless you're going to buy it out, which is even worse. So, <laughs> so you're at $84 million committed to this guy, and he's going to take up around 10% of your salary cap for the next few years. I rarely believe that building a team or making decisions to suit one player is smart. But in this case, I think th- there are exceptions, and trying to get this guy going is one of them. So if I'm the Flames, 
as a hockey ops and a coaching staff, I'm looking down, I'm sitting down and starting to really dig in on, okay, what players on my roster did he work best with this year and analytically and all that type of stuff. And also, I think you start looking externally and saying, okay, what are who are some of the players that we think can get him going or that suit his skill set or that really can mesh well with him, either historically or the type of player that has historically worked well with Jonathan Huberdo? I think you do have to slightly mm-hmm. cater your offseason to make sure that you get more out of this guy in year two than you did this past year. And I'm not suggesting you need to get him back to triple digits, but you got to get him back to close to point per game. That's what he has been for the last five or six years. And so I really think you need to do a deep dive organizationally on why it didn't work. What are the things that made it not work on the yeah. ice? And start to do things a little bit differently, and and the coaches, coaching staff's got to be on board with that. Uh, your your player personnel department's got to be on board with that. But you, Willsey, you have got to make sure that he has more than fifty five points next year. Yeah. You can't have fifty five points at ten and a half million dollars. That's 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 death of a salary cap. So I I think that outside of Elias Lindholm and figuring out what his future is with this team, I think maximizing Huberdeau for next year has to be one of the biggest player personnel priorities this summer. Absolutely, Pat. And you know, I was chatting with some people today about uh, the Flames missing the playoffs. Why did it happen? Well, when you look at it, they missed the playoffs by two or three points, depending on how you crunch the numbers. Let's even say three points. So if the Flames lose 14 games instead of 17 games in overtime or a shootout, they make the playoffs. Like, that's how small the margin was. If Jonathan Huberto puts up 10 more points, Flames probably make the playoffs. Like, just minuscule things that really prevented this team from putting themselves in a position to, to pull off some upsets in the playoffs. So, yeah, Jonathan Huberto becoming a point-a-game player would be massive for him and for the Flames. And I don't think it's fair to expect him to be a 115-point player, maybe even a 100-point player again. But if he can become an 80- to 90-point player, then it's not double what he got in his first season with the Flames, but it's pretty darn close. And uh, that would help him, and that would help the people he's playing with. It would help the power play, and it would help the team. It would just go such a long way. But I think the the first thing that has to happen is if Daryl Sutter's back as the head coach, that relationship needs some work. And I think that would be huge for Jonathan Huberto as far as his mindset, because one of the things he told us at the end of the season was he lost his swagger. And guys, I don't care what you do for a living, whether you're a broadcaster or a hockey player or uh, all the people listening to our program right now have different jobs. If you've got confidence, you're going to be better at what you do. I don't care what it is that you do, you're going to be better at it. And clearly Jonathan Huberto lost his confidence and lost his swagger last season. He's got to find a way to get that back himself. That's going to take some work. But I also think that one of the challenges of being a head coach, probably more so now than ever before, is that you have to treat every individual player and person differently. Some guys handle getting kicked in the butt better than others. And some guys at times need a kick in the butt and at other teams times need a pat on the back. And I'm guessing he got too many kicks in the butt and not enough pats in the back this season. And part of that's on him, but I think part of that's on the coach as well. So 
Uh, I think Jonathan Huberto will bounce back in some way, shape, or form. If he doesn't, it might be another long season for the Flames. But if he does, then uh, we talked about this team being one goal or one save away from winning so many games this season. Well, he's going to be a guy who helps them get that one more goal, uh, hopefully a lot more often in year two than he did in year one. Derek, you mentioned the power play, and I think you you doubled upon probably, in my opinion, the, the biggest missed opportunity of the Flames because I think a lot of folks who saw how good Huberdeau was in Florida, especially on special teams, you give a guy who's that good at distributing the puck that extra space of being a man up, and magic can happen. And it seemed like the opposite happened for the Flames. It seemed like when they got in the power play, they seemed to lose momentum. They seemed to, you know, figure out ways to not take advantage of those opportunities when the games mattered most. And if you can figure out a way within the Flames power play scheme alone, if you can figure out a way to get a little bit more out of Huberdeau, get him a little more comfortable, get him moving the puck a little bit faster, I think... One, it makes that power play super dangerous without really having to change a lot of the personnel. If you can get him, the you know, firing the puck to Kadri a half second earlier or to, to Foley or to whoever, that's that could be huge. And I think I think you you nailed on nailed one of the frustrations I think a lot of fans are feeling right now, Derek. Just the idea of the Flames missed the playoffs by three points. The Flames probably, if their power play is league average, that's another four or five goals. That's another four or five wins. And then you're talking about the flames being, you know, potentially, you know, chasing Seattle for the last, last divisional spot rather than being out of it completely. And I think, you know, I think that the power play and Huberdeau's ability to operate within it is probably the, the thing that could crack this whole thing open. And I mean that, and basically, you know, I'd say, you know, the flames content team, if you're, if you're listening and we know you always are, uh, get get uh, Jed Huberdeau and Daryl on the ranch for a couple days. You know, you can have them riding tractors together or horses. You know, Jonathan Huberdeau can do some yard work and they can bond that way. I, I think there's just, they, they both have really strong philosophies about the game. They both had have had a lot of success as players, as coaches, as whatever. You don't play and have the kind of success that both Daryl Sutter and Jonathan Huberdeau have had without developing a really strong philosophy about how you want the game to be played or how you think hockey should be done. And I think having them either, I don't think they're ever going to be fully agree because I think they come at things from completely different perspectives, but I think having them figure out a way to understand each other and sort of, you know, figure out a way to adapt to each other's mindsets a little bit. I think that could be huge too. Also, I just like the, the visual of, of Jonathan Huberto riding a horse with Daryl Sutter. So I think that's something they need to have happen. Well, that's why I laughed out loud. And I'll, I'll leave you guys with this. They have to find a way to make it work. They have to. And yeah. they have to do almost yep. anything they have to do to, to get to a point where Jonathan Huberto becomes an elite player in this league again. They're committed to him for the next eight seasons. Yep. You can't trade that contract. You can't buy that contract out. Pat, to your point, if it means bringing someone in, to work with Jonathan Huberto, whether it's Anthony Duclair or whoever, they've got to figure out a way yep. to make it work because uh, there is no other way. Yep, 100%. That was fun. I like that thought experiment. Yeah. We should do more of those. Uh, have a good weekend, Wellesie. You too, guys. That is Derek Wills. He's Ryan Pike. My name is Pat Steinberg. That's your Friday edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Enjoy the race into spring detail package offer for only $299. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, just minutes from the Calgary Airport.